All right. Um, good morning. Welcome to Chinese Church in Christ, South Valley. Um, good to see everyone. Thank you for joining us on Zoom or in person. Uh, things are crazy right now, so um, let me go ahead and begin us with uh, another word of prayer. Uh, yeah, Lord, uh, it's been a long, nearly couple of years, and um, as we read the news, as we see the variant spreading, um, as we know people who are sick, and um, I really pray, Lord, that you would be um, bringing an end to the virus, Lord. Um, I also pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, endure. I know it's so frustrating and difficult to, um, yeah, just have to constantly go through the whiplash of meeting in person, not meeting in person, uh, just all the different struggles, having virtual school, not having virtual school, um, and even just the uncertainty and fear that comes with um, our circumstances. Um, and Lord, this has such an impact on us, and you know it does. Uh, you know how it's um, exhausting. You know how deeply we need encouragement from you. Uh, so I pray, Lord, that you would really speak powerfully through your word, and you would help give us your perspective on what's going on. And most of all, Lord, that you would encourage us and help us have faith in what you're doing in our lives, in the lives of our church, in the world. Um, so I pray, Lord, that you would really fill us up with your courage and goodness and love um, for those around us. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. Um, so a quick announcement for me and Ashley. Well, we might talk about it later on, but um, I'm really excited. Uh, our uh, baby boy, we were naming him Tobias, is due on January 25th. So his nickname is Baby Toby. And um, as a result of that, uh, with the uh, variant spreading, um, this is going to be my last Sunday in person because we want to like absolutely make sure that we don't get it. That might impact like the hospital visits and stuff. Like I need to be in the delivery room, and depending on what happens, I wouldn't be able to do that. Or there, just you know, we we want to avoid that. So um, I'm. It's kind of. It's kind of. Uh, it's really exciting for me, and um, I'm actually really excited to preach uh, this last time. It's going to be quite a while. After baby Toby's born, um, I'm going to be on sabbatical, which means uh, time of rest, and um, it's going to be two months, so I won't see you guys until middle of May, or middle of March, sorry. Ashley will not work until, anyway, middle of March which is really cool. Um, I'm really thankful for um, our church uh, just being willing to provide that for me because I know that uh, it's been a long time in uh, being serving in ministry. It's like f more than four years for me being a pastor here and then many more before that serving in youth ministry. And so it's, I'm just really thankful for that. Um, and so I was, as I was like considering what I wanted to say to you all right before I left off uh, for sabbatical, um, they're, they're, the last three messages that we've done are it. Like, these are the things that I really want, and Dan and I really want to impress upon you. A few weeks ago, we talked about John 3.16 and how God so loved us, how he loved us by sending his son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. Um, that is the absolute foundational message of the gospel, which is that, and in, in this time of, pandemic, in this time of difficulty, I really wanted to preach that to us and remind us of that again and remind myself of that again, which is in everything we're going through, 
God has demonstrated his love for us by dying, by sending his son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. And that means that nothing, no matter what happens in this world, we have this comfort and security of knowing that um, we have eternal life as a result of what Jesus Christ did. And then Dan, uh, the following week, preached on the next thing, which is what is the impact of Jesus coming to the earth? He not only has given us eternal life, but in the present, he promises that living water will spring up inside of us and that basically the Holy Spirit um, and kind of the life of Christ will be in us, uh, giving us life and helping us uh, just experience joy and peace and security no matter what life circumstances are going on. And then for the third one, for this one, I just wanted to kind of share with you um, one, of the, one of the verses that's been the most encouraging for me. Um, my favorite preacher, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, wrote a sermon on this passage. And so to some degree, I'm copying what he said. Um, I, or some, some of the emphasis that he puts, I'm, I also am going to emphasize. Uh, but actually, it's slightly different because I feel like our contexts are different than his contexts. Um, so this passage is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And I just wanted to read that. It's a short passage, um, but I just wanted to read it a couple of times for us, and then we'll get into it. Uh, so this is Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and he says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And let me read that one more time. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, this is God's word. So, uh, right off the bat, um, like, I mean, we talk about this all the time, but uh, what's been kind of interesting for me is to uh, kind of, like, I, I listen to, like, church podcasts and stuff, and I read articles of church leaders. Um, I read the news, and so there are some kind of trends that I've noticed with uh, in Christianity, but... I mean, also this like bears up with our own experience in our church. Uh, so a few kind of interesting statistics. Um, like many pastors uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the American church have reported that uh, as a result of the pandemic, church attendance in person is around 50 to 75% of what it was before the pandemic. And there are lots of different reasons for this. For some people, it's been basically like a reckoning with their church where they've said, I've been discontent and dissatisfied with how the church has been for quite a while, and just not going to church on Sunday has given me, in a sense, a reason to just stop going. Um, some people obviously are staying at home because they have health concerns uh, for themselves or their loved ones, so that's totally understandable. Um, some people are just tired. Uh, there, there are so many different reasons why this has been the case, and uh, like by itself, that would just be like, oh yeah, it's all explained by the pandemic. Uh, but there's another kind of interesting statistic that um, I've actually looked at, which is that pastors uh, in the American church 
around, I think, I think the number is 38%. Uh, when they were surveying pastors, 38% of pastors reported that they had seriously considered leaving ministry as a result of the last two years. Not like leaving a church and going to a different church, but completely quitting ministry. And the reason for that is, as you can all imagine, you've lived it, um, the kind of turmoil, the difficulty, the stress, the suffering and tragedy that people have gone through during this time. We have like, I mean, I remember like this, the last two years have probably been harder than any other period in my life. I'm not exaggerating. Um, not only like what's been going on for me personally, but what's been going on in the world. We've had, you know, uh, the George Floyd uh, incident. We've had like uh, racial tension. We've had political tension and division. We've had, and, and all of this like economic inequity, like the pandemic, it's just like one thing after another, right? Um, and to make that, so uh, if you're anything like me, if you're anything like, I mean, we've all been going through this. Uh, I think this passage is so incredibly important for us as believers to kind of remember this incredible truth of uh, what the implications of the love of God and our salvation means for how we live. Um, if we understand from John 3.16 how much God loves us in sending his son, if we understand from John 4 how God has given us living water, then the question is, okay, what's next? Like, what do we do with this um, life, that this new way of living, this Father who loves us, this Holy Spirit who is in us? And this passage is what it's all about. The implications of the love of God is that we do good and we take every opportunity to do good to those around us. And so this is like so this is so incredibly important for us to hear right now and i really love the apostle paul in in saying these words because what we need more than anything in this moment what i need what you need um, is this truth from galatians um, and so i'll just read it one more time let us not grow weary of doing good you are doing good uh, our church is doing good in your life god created you in Christ for good works. Everything about your life is doing good for people and loving people, loving God, serving people. Um, and that is so incredibly good, but it's tiring. And especially during this time, it's so easy to grow weary while we're doing these good works. But then Paul says, in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And he's saying, Look, no matter how tired you are, as you grow weary, as you're going, you're, you're one of those pastors who are struggling, 38% thinking of quitting ministry, what does Paul say? say? Don't give up. It's not hopeless. And then finally, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So uh, before we go, I'm going to go into this passage at uh, some good detail. But, but before we even start with that, um, I just wanted to give you some context from the book of Galatians. So one question as you read this passage is, he says, let us not grow weary of doing good. So the word, like doing good is kind of like broad, isn't it? And part of the reason he does that is because it's intentional. Uh, he wants us to see that uh, our mission in life as Christians is to do good. And like to, the way Paul would have understood that can be seen broadly as meaning to do what is good, which God defines. So like to do the good that God intends us to do, where it's like God is our dad 
And we follow the example of God in what he does and what he sees as valuable. And so we live in a way that pleases him. What's up? Um, but more specifically within the context of Galatians, I want to point to a few specific types of doing good that he talks about. So um, if you look at the, the slide, what is doing good, um, in chapter 5, verse 13, one of the things he calls doing good is this, 5.13, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Okay? So right off the bat, uh, one of the things that Paul understands in the immediate context as doing good is uh, not using your freedom from the law. There, there's a lot of theological background, but I'm not going to go that much into it. Um, the main part, through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. Um, this is so incredibly important for us to remember. Um, I remember when we first were sheltering in place um, in 2020, one of the things that I noticed about my own kind of heart and state is that the, the very habit or routine of sheltering in place uh, led me to be incredibly self-focused and self-centered. Um, and there's something, I mean, being able, sheltering in place is not bad, but what it did to my heart um, was it often made me self-focused, where it life became all about meeting my own needs, doing what was pleasing to me and happy for me. Um, and honestly, like if I wasn't married, it probably would have been way worse. Like I probably would have uh, become even more self-focused in my behavior and actions. Um, but look at the contrast here where Paul says, what is doing good? What do we do as believers? Through love which means like through our concern and our desire for the good of other people, we serve one another. And so it's not about serving myself. It's about saying God to God, your will be done. Let me serve the people around me. Another type of good that Paul talks about in uh, chapter 5, verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So I really like this image. Um, first one, through love, serve one another. That's doing good, one example of doing good. Second one, he says, if we live by the Spirit. And when he says that, he means if we have life, if we are saved by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And that's a really great image, right? Where it's like you're walking next to someone and you're in step with them. Or you're walking behind someone, you're marching in step with them. What they do, you imitate and you copy. And so... What is another example of doing good? To walk by the Spirit, to live in step with the Spirit, which basically means asking God every day, um, what is it you would like me to do? How can I serve the people around me? What good can I do? How can I love those around me? And that's what the Spirit is all about. The, whole, the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ in us is all about showing love to one another. And then in chapter 6, verse 2, this is in the context of actually restoring someone who's in sin, but Paul goes on to say, another good is to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this other picture is, I see my friend um, carrying this heavy load. It could be a literal heavy load, it could be a heavy backpack, or it could be a metaphorical, emotional, spiritual, whatever load. Let me help you carry this burden. Let's carry each other's burdens. And again, this is the polar opposite to my attitude early on, and it's, a, it's an attitude that we all tend to slip into, which is to be self-centered and self-focused, and say, I have enough trouble on my plate, 
So I, can't, I don't even have the time to help other people, right? But when we understand what it means to be a Christian, when we understand the love of God for us, and especially the life of Christ in us, then it is actually more natural for us to love other people than it is for us to be self-centered. Um, and a good that Paul wants us to do is bear one another's burdens. Okay, so um, I got kind of three points. Uh, that's the context, right, for our passage, which we already read. I kind of got three points for us. Um, I want to look at the condition that Paul is addressing, which is, uh, let us not grow weary of doing good. Okay, so we're going to look at that condition. And again, this is from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. There is a specific condition that Paul is talking about within our Christian lives um, that is a tendency for us to, over time, grow weary as we're doing good. Okay? So this is not talking about, like, do I want to serve God or do I not want to serve? It's, it's saying you are serving God. You are doing good for God. You're loving people. But as time passes, you get tired. And it's a process. He says grow weary. So it's not that you are weary. You start really great. But then over time, you grow weary. And so I want to kind of talk about what that condition can look like in our lives and then also some of the causes of that. The second thing I want us to see is the encouragement that Paul gives us. Um, if your condition is the same as, you know, like, you know, grow, like me, like I'm growing weary, what is the antidote? What does Paul say that can help us get through this kind of period of struggle and help us to endure? And so that's an encouragement. And then the final thing we see, and this is mostly verse 10, is we see a completely alternative way of living than being someone who grows weary in doing good. So it's a different, it's an alternative. It's a different way of living that can only come from understanding this antidote to this condition, okay? So let me read it one more time. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Okay? So first off, let's look at some of the causes that we grow weary in doing good. Okay? So you're on that slide, Sabrina. Um, and, and honestly, this is just like a short list. So there are a lot of reasons for this. And in this passage, I want to put my finger on some in particular that I think are more relevant. But some of the reasons we grow weary in doing good... Uh, there are physical, emotional, spiritual reasons, spiritual fatigue, emotional fatigue, physical fatigue. Um, so when we think about the past year, uh, we experience all of those things. Uh, we experience the physical fatigue that comes from being worried all the time. You know, when you're stressed, stress hormones build in your body, and it causes a just constant state of sort of like insecurity where you don't feel at rest. And your brain just is going a mile a minute. You can't stop thinking about things you're worried about. And, you know, people have done a lot of studies on the physical effects that has on your body. Um, and that kind of trickles your physical stress, which is related, obviously, to your mental health and all that stuff, has both a physical effect and then it's a, um, what, do you, what do you call it? It self-reinforces where your mental stress leads to more physical stress, your physical stress leads to more mental stress. And as a result of that, you burn out. And so this is a common experience that people have. You just burn out. Whatever you were doing before, uh, you no longer have the same motivation or drive to do it. You are emotionally tired. You have no motivation. 
And then you have spiritual fatigue where uh, we were talking about in the book of First Kings, uh, Elijah. So the, the sermon Dan preached on Elijah where he had this mountaintop experience on Carmel where he uh, prayed to God and God defeated all of the prophets of Baal. And then right after that happened, he, he fell into a deep depression. He was physically exhausted. He was emotionally exhausted. He was spiritually exhausted. And so as a result of that, he basically said to God, like, just kill me. Just kill me. I'm, I'm so done with this. Um, and so Dan preached really powerfully on that kind of condition of being weary. He was doing good. He was doing great. He was working really hard for God. He was doing God's mission, but he grew weary. And a lot of it actually had to do with his attitude, which we'll, you'll see here, but um, there are other factors too. So another cause or reason that we grow weary, and if you're a student or if you've ever done New Year's resolutions, I think this is a really big one. It's simply the loss of novelty, where I'm, I'm like, I am totally this type of person. Like I remember when I was in seminary, I would sign up for a class and I'd be like, ooh, I'm so excited to take this class. Like, I really want to learn, you know, about the, this book of the Bible or whatever it might be. And then about a month in, I'd be like, oh, this is the worst. Like, why am I taking this? And it's not because I didn't like it. It's just it lost its novelty. And so much of what we do and our motivation comes from the excitement of doing new things. And so what you find in the Christian life is the same thing happens. And this is a rough kind of, this is not true of every single person, but here's kind of like a path that many Christians take. When you're in the beginning, it is novel. It is all new. Everything you hear is like amazing. And God is really, I think God is actually really gracious to young Christians um, in having them feel these powerful feelings. And part of it is just the natural excitement from understanding the love of God and the gospel for the first time. But then over time, something happens uh, so you come from youth retreat, and all of a sudden you're like, why can't I feel God anymore? Or another thing is like, you, you're going to church again on Sunday, and you're like, not again. It's the same thing. We sing the same songs. The same kind of people preach. Nothing changes, and you do it for year after year after year. It, there's no novelty to it, right? And so you grow tired of it. And I want to really push back against this kind of attitude with a different perspective that Paul gives us. Third one, isolation and loneliness is a cause for growing weary. Where when you feel isolated from the other believers, um, it is, there, there's a passage in Hebrews where it says, do not neglect to meet together, but instead of doing that, stir one another up and incur to good works and encourage one another where it's like without the other believers, without being around them, without other people, other Christians, other disciples, um, it is so easy for us to grow discouraged and we need other people to give encourage, to encourage, to give courage to us in those moments where we are um, discouraged and isolated. Um, and oh yeah, discouragement, same thing. Isolation and loneliness leads to discouragement. Discouragement leads to growing weary and doing good. These are some of the causes. This is not exhaustive. There are many more reasons why we grow weary. Um, but I want you to think for a second about how you're feeling with um, the new like pandemic news and everything like that. Um, for some of you, it might be kind of like this, where it's like, I am so done with lockdowns. I'm so done with wearing masks, social distancing, all of that stuff. 
Um, and it's just, we're growing weary, we're growing fatigued. And then we're, there's like a little sliver of hope, the doors open a little bit, like, oh, is the pandemic gonna be over? And then it slams shut, or it feels like that, right? Where there's a new variant. Um, and so that's kind of the condition many of us are in. And so, uh, are, are you guys with me? Are you guys, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know how I'm feeling? Uh, do you know this kind of condition that I'm describing? Growing weary and doing good. And you know, like I'm not even, I'm not even that old. So like, I'm sure, I'm sure like Ken and Greg and all, like if you're, if you've been a believer for longer than I have, it's, this is probably like, this is like the midlife crisis of Christians, I, I think, where you grow weary of doing good. You, you're doing something and you just, you're, t you're tired of it. So you want to try something. And there's probably something good to that too, where it might uh, help you to listen or discern where God is leading differently. Um, the weariness might be a signal that God wants you to go somewhere else. But whatever. We're talking about how it's a negative thing because Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Um, so what is the antidote that Paul gives to this condition? Um, let's look at the verse again real quick. Let us not grow weary of doing good. So that's the condition. And then he says next, why? Why do we not grow weary? Why do we refuse to give up? For, because in due season, we will reap. This is a really, really profound metaphor um, that Paul uses. And I think this is really the key to keeping on going for me. Like, this is the key for me to keep on going. When things don't seem like they're going well, when I'm exhausted, when I feel discouraged or lonely or despairing, this is an incredibly powerful and profound image that Paul gives me to keep on going. Let's go ahead and look at it. What is it? He says, don't grow weary of doing good because in due season we will reap. Okay? So he's using a farming metaphor here, right? And right before this, he talks a lot about sowing to the spirit, you will reap from the spirit eternal life. Sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh corruption. So basically, what you put in, what you sow, that's the thing you're going to grow. Um, but he's doing something very, uh, a little bit different than that here, where he's using a farming uh, analogy. And so I wanted to tell you guys about a way that I have personally been able to experience this passage in a new way. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some lawn care. So you probably didn't expect, that, like when you came to church on Sunday, you're going to get some lawn care, a lawn care tutorial. But let me go ahead and share you. Um, so this is how, uh, this is what happened um, at our house. So uh, there is a patch of grass on our lawn that turned yellow. And what we figured out was that sprinkler head had stopped working, right? So all the other areas of the lawn were getting water, but this one was not. And so I endeavored to learn how to grow grass. Now, growing grass is like the the growing grass is like level zero. It is the easiest thing to possibly do. Like you could probably just throw a bunch of grass seed on the ground outside. Like on, you could probably throw a bunch of grass, grass seed on the concrete out there and it'll just like start growing. Um, it's really crazy. But for me, this was totally new. And um, let me kind of use this analogy to show you what Paul is talking about where he says, in due season you will reap if you don't give up. Um, let me tell you what I had to do to fix this patch of lawn. So number one, um, I had to prep the ground. 
So what this meant was, and this is not the way you should do it, you should find a better way of doing this, but uh, for our lawn, they laid a bunch of sod, right? Which is these patches of grass with dirt that they place on the ground, and then the grass kind of roots down into the actual soil. And so because it was sod, I had to remove all the sod in that patch of that yellow patch, all the yellow sod. I had to get a shovel. Um, this is not what I re recommend. I, I got a shovel and for like three hours straight, I'm probably not even like, over, I'm not even exaggerating. I had to go like this underneath the grass. So it was, it was basically like I was digging up all of the sod and cutting off all of the grass roots that had already grown there. And I, I had to do that for like, it was probably like a patch of, lawn like maybe from that chair to here, like a square that big, right? And that took a really long time and that was exhausting. I was sweating like crazy, but I had to prep the ground. The next thing I had to do was I had to fix the sprinkler head. So I got all of the grass sod off of that. It took forever. It was like, tremendous, and then I threw it in the, the um, grass or whatever it is. Um, the next thing I had to do was I had to figure out why the sprinkler head wasn't working. So I dug a huge hole around the sprinkler head so I could look at the pipes, right? And it turns out that there is a bunch of gunk and rocks that got stuck at the bottom of the pipe, and so I had to clean it out. So I used water to wash out the pipe so it was clean, and then when I put it back in, it was like the scariest thing in the world because if I turned on the water and it didn't come out, it would mean that there's some kind of other problem and I have to dig more into the ground to find the pipes. But it turned out, turn on the water, it worked. So that was great, I fixed the sprinkler. The next thing I had to do was I had to th throw the seed. So I bought probably way too much. Gra I, I bought a ton of grass seed, like a huge bag from Home Depot. I also brought like a three-in-one, it's like mulch and fertilizer and grass seed, and I poured it all over the grass, like everywhere. I poured it all over the grass. Um, and so that was kind of, and then I threw a bunch of extra seed on top just to make sure. Um, I was, and, but here's the thing, did all that work, did all the work, um, and then I watered it like crazy, because you have to water it like crazy, and then I woke up the next day, and in the morning, I went outside, and all of my grass had grown all the way back. Is that what happened? Of course not, right? What's crazy about growing grass is, and again, this is like level zero, this is super duper easy, but when I was doing it, I was like, dude, I, I water this thing for seven days in a row, and I see nothing. And so for an entire week, I was like, I spent four hours of back-breaking labor. It was actually really, really tiring um, to prep everything, to plant this grass seed, and I watered it every day, and nothing happened. Why? Why did nothing happen? Because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet for the grass to grow. The grass was working, the seeds were opening, all this stuff was happening under the surface, but it wasn't time yet to reap. It wasn't time yet to see the results of my labor. This is an incredibly powerful lesson from lawn care about the spiritual life and about being a Christian. And that's what Paul says, right? He says, in due season, where he's not saying, like, we have, we have such a, this is a huge reason why we grow weary. We look around at the state of the church, or we look around at our own hearts and our own relationship with God. Or more often we judge other people and we say like, why aren't you guys further along? And um, the reason that we get discouraged is because we're like me the first day after I plant the seed expecting the grass to grow. It's not time yet. That's not the season for the growth yet. 
And so in the same way, you see this all over the Bible. When God works, uh, he works at the right pace and in the right season and at the right time. And we are so incredibly impatient because we're used to it. We're used to technology. We're used to different things that make us not understand the, the rhythms of growth that God does in people. Um, we're far more used to like mechanical growth or like microwaving stuff or whatever. It's like really quick. It's really straightforward and linear. But growth in the Christian life, growth in church, uh, growth in my life, it's not necessarily linear. It's organic. And it grows at a different rate and people grow in a different way. And so what does Paul say to this antidote? Um, what, is he, what antidote does he give to this phenomenon of growing weary and doing good? One of the reasons you grow weary is because you think it's going to all happen immediately. And so I, I just like, <laughs> like, I can think of a lot of examples from when I was serving in youth group. Uh, this is something, I'm sure I've done this, I'm sure I've done this a million times, but it's easy for me to like observe in other people, where youth, they get so excited, and they're like, I'm going to be completely different, and I promise you, God, I'm never going to do that sin again, and everything's going to be, and, and God's probably just like laughing at him. He's like, I mean, you can say that, but that's not how long it takes to grow. You know what I mean? And I do the same thing, where I'm like, my, again, like Greg's been serving this church for like 40 years or something, some ridiculously long period of time. Um, I, I, I have not even served in church for a fourth of what he's done, right? So I'm sure he knows this lesson far more than I do, where sometimes you look at the visible outcome and you don't see anything. But then the same person who you saw nothing in, you just wait five years and see where they are now. Or for some people, wait 20 years and see where they are then. Like you could see nothing, no spiritual interest, no anything in, in someone's life for 10 years. And you know what God is doing the whole time? He's growing that seed in them. He's growing that seed. And so we see this in the youth group where there have been, <laughs> um, Dan and I would, would talk about this. You know, like there are kids in youth group and you're kind of like, you're, it's like betting on horses or something. You're like, this one will, <laughs> I, th I think this one's going to make it when they go off to college. And we're like, this one, no way, they're not going to. Um, sorry, is that mean? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of joking. It's not, it's not, it's serious too. But um, we just talk about it. And um, there have been many examples where the youth who we don't they, don't, they just don't show any like interest, right? They don't show any interest. And, and they go off to college and we're like, we have no clue what they're going to be like. But then it's in college when they really encounter God powerfully. And that seed that all these people in our church planted over a long period of time finally shows the fruit and finally breaks through the soil and you see it. And they get baptized. And they, they really love God and they want to serve God in a way that you never would have imagined it for this kid. I've seen that many times. And so the antidote to growing weary is to have this certainty that comes from Paul saying, in due season. And the word here really means in time, in the right time. Okay? At the right time, God will produce this fruit and you will see the fruit. And you will reap. You will experience this growth and this life. Um, but there's a condition. What's the condition? If you don't give up. If I was to give up when I was planting the grass, I, I plant, I, like I water for three days. You have to, I just stand there with the hose. I'm like, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. 20 minutes later, okay, I think I've watered enough. Next day, do the same thing. 
Um, if after the third day I'm like, there's, no, there's nothing showing, I'm just going to give up. You know what would have happened? The grass still would have grown because grass is invincible. But in other, that's not my point. If you give up, you're not going to see it. The worst thing you can do when you're growing weary is to give up. Because that is the one condition um, which will preclude you from reaping. Now, it doesn't mean that God won't still grow stuff. It's just that you won't be there to, to witness it, or you won't be a part of what God is doing um, in that life. So these are lessons from lawn care, right? Good lessons from lawn care. How do we know we'll reap? Um, there are a few reasons that I think Paul is able to write this. Uh, number one, he knows this based on his own incredible, amazing experience of, of spreading the gospel all over the world. Um, he has planted so many churches. He's preached the gospel to so many people, and so he knows the power of the gospel, and he knows the time frame that it takes in different people to grow and sprout. Some churches, it's hard work. It doesn't take immediately. But then over time, he sees them grow. And then the other thing about him is he understands endurance, where Paul, Paul has a list. He got shipwrecked a bunch of times. He got beaten a, a bunch of times. A bunch of people threw stones at him. He struggled with hunger and thirst and a wild variety of suffering and difficulty. If anyone had the right to grow weary in well-doing, it, wouldn't it be him? I mean, like, we haven't dealt with the same kind of hardship that he has. But he was able to get through that because he was so incredibly confident that what he was doing would have a result. And what he was doing will have a result, not based on simply his effort. But third, uh, second, he gets his confidence from his trust in God's activity, where he says over and over again, um, in different ways, he says, like, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. Where he is so confident that God is going to take whatever we do, however we serve, whatever effort we make to seek God and know him, and God gives the growth. God waters that seed in us. Um, and so for you guys, it feels hard. It's not easy to go to church. It's not easy to read your Bible, to pray, to do all the things that we know is good, but just don't give up because it's like planting grass. It's actually like planting a more difficult seed that takes longer to grow, where you never know. Like on a, if you're going to Bible study on a Wednesday, that might be the passage that God plants in your heart, and then five years later when you're married, you need that passage to get through a struggle with your spouse. Or you need that passage to endure when you're going through struggles with your school or with your work. Um, and God might really use that passage to encourage you with his love in a moment where you feel really down. But it's sowing. You're not reaping yet. You're just planting the seed. Um, and so this is what I think we should do is, like, don't give up planting these seeds. Like, try your best and do just do very small steps, very small things. And I'll talk about this later when we talk the application. Um, okay, I got to go a bit quicker. Let's look at the alternative. So if you don't grow weary in doing good, what's the alternative? Um, the alternative is, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. When you grow weary of doing good, what, do you, what happens? You don't do good. <laughs> you stop doing good, right? And the word for weary, it really means to like faint. Like you're exhausted, you're suffering from heat stroke when you're trying to plant some grass, you just fall over, you faint, right? 
And so you're, you're no longer active. And so the opposite of that is this kind of attitude where he says, as we have opportunity, and the word there is the same word where it says in due season, it's the word for time, same word for time, where he says, as you have the time, let us do good to everyone. Where it's basically saying, like, every opportunity you have, the opposite of growing weary and well-doing is to be excited for well-doing and to live your life every day and say, if I ever have a spare moment, um, I want to do good. I'm going to look for every chance I have to love people around me and serve them and do good to them. And honestly, this is what the world needs right now. You know, like Dan was talking about it when, while we were singing. Um, the world needs people who have experienced the love of God and know the love of Christ and have been shaped by him and experience and know and grow the fruit of the Spirit in their lives to show love for everyone around them. But the danger is we've, we've grown tired. We've grown tired of that because we don't think it's going to work. But this is what we need in this moment more than anything, um, to not grow weary, to at every opportunity do good. And what's really interesting here is it doesn't say to start off, it doesn't say do good to everyone who looks like you or thinks like you or has the same politics as you or goes to church. It says to everyone, look for every opportunity to do good. Where, um, sorry, I mean, I, I, don't mean to toot, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but um, like one example I was thinking about was, um, you know, we, we got a house, right? So it's our first experience, me and Ashley, to be neighbors to people. Um, so we were walking our dog one day, and then I saw my neighbor, Jason, uh, who's like a general contractor. He had this huge exercise equipment thing in the back of his truck. We were walking our dog uh, home. We were about to go inside, and then he was trying to, him and his, I think was his wife pregnant at that time? <laughs> I think she, yeah, I think she was. I think she was bright. So his pregnant wife were trying to carry this huge exercise equipment thing into the house. And I was like, dude, why is your wife doing like that's like, and so I was like, can I help you? And then I was able to help him. And we had to like finagle how to get it in at the right angle. And he had to take it apart so he could get into the room. It was big, big hassle for him. Um, but I was just, I was looking for an opportunity, really small thing. I'm sure he really, really appreciated it. And that's just an example where you're open to it. You're not so, like, you don't have blinders on where you're actually able to look for these opportunities. To, for everyone, indiscriminate good doing for all the people around you. And then next he says, um, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And when it says especially those of the household of faith, it does not mean showing favor. So in one sense, it might be interpreted as showing favoritism to Christians. But really what I think it means here is basically he assumes that they will be the people who are closest to you and you'll spend the most time with them. And the other thing he assumes is if your family, when he says the household of faith, it means you are part of the church family. And he knows that people in the church family, in any family, bicker. People in families have a hard time getting along. And so he's encouraging people especially these people are really different than you, the ones that go to church with you. They get on your nerves, different political beliefs, different whatever it is. They're old, they're young, they're like young whippersnappers with their rap music, whatever. Um, it's hard to get along, but Paul wants to encourage people, do good to them. Don't grow weary of doing good, look for opportunities to do good to the people who are within your family. 
That's the alternative. Do you see how that's so different? When you grow weary of doing good, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. Do I really have to do that? The other one is I'm looking for every chance I have to do good to those around me. So how do we apply this? Um, I think I'm just going to end with these. I'll talk about it real quick, but I think there's probably one that I want to talk about more. So the first application is you got to grow deep roots to grow strong shoots. You like that it rhymes? Really catchy? You guys remember that? You say it aloud, grow deep shoots. Anyway, um, what I mean is, uh, you know, when you look at like bamboo or whatever, the, the root system kind of forms before it starts explosively growing. So it takes a lot of time growing a root system underneath the ground that you can't see. And then it can grow tremendously fast, like feet and feet and feet over the course of one night. And as, as believers, like sometimes we focus on the external behaviors, but we don't have a deep root system. And what happens when we hit suffering or trials? We just fall apart. We get uprooted. And so what I want to encourage you with as I go off to sabbatical, and it's going to be chilling, is grow deep roots in God's word, grow deep roots in prayer, and grow deep roots in community. Like get close to people. Um, let Meditate on God's word in a way that gives you life. And that's how you can be a person who looks for good to do and actually has, the care, the, in a sense, the fruit of the spirit and the capacity and the strength of character to love the people around you and sacrifice for them. Otherwise, you will burn out. You will grow weary if you don't know the love of God for you, if that's not your roots. If you're not rooted and grounded in the love of God, you will burn out when you try to live the Christian life. Second one, cultivate tiny habits. So this is super practical. There's a Stanford researcher named BJ Fogg um, who talks about habit formation, and he's studied it a lot. So what he says is if you want to uh, learn a habit or set a goal, when you're doing New Year's resolutions, you're like, I want to lose 50 pounds. That's a terrible resolution to make because it does not work like psycho. It's not very likely to work psychologically. Um, what's really helpful, according to his research, is to set tiny, tiny habits. Um, so this is how it works. Um, if you want to get physically fit, actually, let me use the toothbrush one. If you have a hard time flossing your teeth, he says, put your floss right next to your toothbrush, and every single day, floss one tooth. Just floss one tooth. And you might be thinking, that's stupid. All your other tooth teeth are going to... But you're forming the habit. And so what you need to do is set a goal that is so ridiculously achievable that it basically requires no willpower whatsoever. And then if you feel like it, you can floss more teeth. Like, I'm serious. So another example he uses is doing push-ups, where he says, every time you use the bathroom, do one push-up. And you can do more than one push-up. So he uses the example, like, sometimes I do like 15 push-ups after I use the bathroom. But if you do that for a month, if you floss for a month, that'll be way, way, way different. And it's actually forming uh, kind of neurons in your brain that allows it to, be, to use less willpower, which allows you to maintain the habit for a longer period of time. This is something that totally works, and it's been helpful for me, where when I'm like exercising, I set tremendously low goals. I'm not like, I'm going to have the best workout ever. I'm just like, I got to get in the gym and do anything. Just do something. And then once I start doing it, I'm able to do more. So again, Apply this to your spiritual life and the cultivation of your soul, which means don't try to read the whole Bible in a year. 
don't try to read the whole, like don't try to read, don't set like crazy audacious goals. Set tiny, tiny, tiny goals where you say, let me try to read one verse today. Let me try to read one verse every day. And if I want to read more, I can read more. Let me try to chew on that one verse every day. And then over time, you'll see how you get life from that. And you enjoy it more. And it's easier to do that. It's not easy to form the habit. But if you set these small goals, that's how you can actually have a chance to succeed. Um, and then do the same thing for prayer. Do the same thing for attending uh, Sunday service online or in person. And then finally, um, scatter seed in the people around you, sow seed, sow life in others by dying to yourself. This is the way that God intends us to live. And Jesus Christ, in John chapter 12, he basically said, a, a grain of wheat must die and be buried in order for it to multiply. And so he was saying, I, the, Jesus Christ had to die like, like a seed going into the ground and being buried so that it could multiply, so that his life could multiply all over the world. And that's the same way that life spreads in the Christian life. It doesn't spread through doing a lot of good, like using your gifts and being super talented. It spreads through dying to yourself and being willing to die to serve and love other people around you. Um, and so that's, those, those are just three things I would encourage you with. So you got to have deep roots to do that. And th there's an order for a reason, right? you got to grow deep roots. How do you grow deep roots? By starting really, really small. And then once you, you create that root system, then you can start to produce fruit and sow seed around you, where you can love and encourage the people around you um, so that the life of Christ can spread to everyone around, not just in here, not in this building, but everywhere you go, at your workplace, at your school, your friends, your family. Uh, that's what it means to be a disciple, to make disciples, to spread the gospel. Um, don't grow weary, don't give up. Uh, cultivate these small habits, uh, let your roots grow deep, and you will see the growth. God will bring the growth because that's how good he is, and that's how powerful the life of God in you is. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I pray, Lord, that um, you would just really powerfully um, encourage us and give us perseverance in this difficult time um, and Lord, I'm so excited for when we will reap, when we will experience the incredible love and grace and see the incredible fruit that you're growing in us. And I really praise you for all the different ways you've already been doing that in our lives. So I pray, Lord, you would give us perseverance. Um, you would give us uh, assurance and certainty that you're at work um, and that faith and trust in you would get us through. Um, I really pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.